Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. All right, for the last few weeks, we've been obsessed and fixated on political issues facing our nation. And it is critical to stay informed if we want to be an effective agent of change in the world. But as my friends, Dominicanos, uh, when I was growing up on Broadway in the Upper West Side, when you are fixated something uh, for too long or too much, you can go loco. That's Spanish for crazy, you didn't know. So, in the spirit of that, today, let's stay local. Not local, but local. Um, and today, let's pause and focus on the personal domain, personal character, and how the gospel saves us, ultimately, from ourselves. I want to explore the personal psychology of how healthy spirituality begins with an honest assessment of ourselves before assessing others or even the culture, especially before we join in some crusade of changing the world, because we can't give to others what we don't have, and we can't leave others where we haven't been. As Gandhi cautions us, if we, we must first become the change we want to see in the world, or what? We'll just be the blind leading the blind. Today, we're going to spend and explore the psychology of personal change and how the gospel comes into our lives and changes everything, forms us into wholeness for the sake of others in the world, bringing value and life change, not just to our lives, not in us and through us, but the whole world. Today, I want to focus for the next few weeks and begin a new, a new series. Um, we're still on the book of Acts in our time now. I believe it's paramount that we go through scripture so that we're not selective in topics we select. We just want to cherry pick victories. So I want to focus on an exposit Acts chapter 9, the radical transformation of Apostle Paul to life as a mirror. And in Acts 9, I believe we find three dark proclivities that all of us must be saved from. And it's just so that Luke writes to Theophilus in this letter and shows that very explicitly those propensities, those tendencies in the human heart that God saves us from. And so the first thing we'll look today, uh, look at today is our pride, our self-righteousness our own blindness. And, secondly, next week we'll talk about how, God, how the gospel saves us from solo spirituality, from isolationism, from this lesser control 
into manipulation. And if we're left to our own devices, we'll be selective in how we approach spirituality and formation and become what? Lopsided and the dark areas of the soul that we hide will eventually take root, which we see many spiritual leaders falling today. And, and lastly, we'll focus on, uh, in a few weeks, on how the gospel saves us from the Messiah complex, the Messianic complex. Um, sometimes we think that we're the only ones and we catastrophize our responsibility, but the kingdom and the gospel is so much bigger than that. And God helps us to learn to work in community and through a team, in a team. So let's look at this passage right now, and we'll come back and start from the first dark proclivity of spiritual blindness and self-righteousness. That's how the gospel saves us from that. And answer the question, First, nature of salvation. What does the gospel actually save us from? Hey guys, today's scripture is going to be in the book of Acts, chapters 9, verses 1 to 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, from whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. That is the word of the Lord. So in the beginning we asked a question, three proclivities and tendencies, dark propensities that got saves us from, the gospel saves us from, um, and we're getting with the nature of salvation itself, and the question is, what are we exactly being saved from? What is Paul exactly being saved from? And the first observation, first lesson we can glean, excavated from this text, is that Paul is first saved from his blind spots. In fact, if you look at the text carefully, he's what? Blinded by the light. To reflect externally the internal condition. So what are, we, what are we being saved from? What is Paul being saved from? From his very nature. The way he, his operating system, the very he operates his life. He's so subjected to his vision of his life. He can't see he's harming others and he's harming himself, right? So look at this. Right? In the very beginning verses, Jesus give, does give an assertion, a command, an imperative, a bit later. But he asks Paul, in the nature of his conversion story, a question. Why? The question, why? 
we ask questions, sometimes rhetorical questions, to just answer them. But Jesus is trying to show something about the very nature, the elusive, the emotional ecology, the part that God is trying to change in Paul's life, is to, for him to examine why he's doing what he's doing. Right? And if you look here very carefully, what was he being saved from? His blind spots. He couldn't see. <laughs> and that's how blind spots usually work. Everybody else. They're obvious to our family members, to our friends. But we can't see them. Our subject-object balance is off. We're so embedded and insular in these problems that they become what? Subject. And they take over our lives. And we can't be objective. So if we need to be saved from anything first, why we need the church, why we need community, those are various things that I'll go over for the next few weeks, is we can't even see what's harming our own life. That's scary. And that's the nature of salvation. Why we need to be absolutely saved. Why we need grace more than any other reason is because at our very nature, we're subjective to our own sins. So blinded by zeal that we're right even. That we're running in the wrong direction. And it is destroying the toxicity is not only destroying others, it's first destroying our own lives. Clearly, his misguided zeal was killing him as much as he was killing others. Stephen Covey notes in his book, Highly Effective People, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that self-awareness enables us to stand apart and examine even the way we see ourselves our self-paradigm, the most fundamental paradigm of effectiveness, it becomes the map of the basic nature of effectiveness. So, personal change is not possible if you can't see. But the problem is, no one can really see on their own their sins. Now, it, it, can, it is possible with the power of the Spirit and why here, Paul, how does he see? Supernaturally, right? Special revelation. Jesus shows up in a vision mode of blinding light. A phenomenon does take place, but he has to be what? Disrupted. Here again. Here again, you see the theme of disruption bringing out salvation. And so for a lot of us who dis seriously like discomfort and disruption in our lives, we like things to cruise. If you like things to cruise, change will not result in your life. Not personal change. Not... National change. Forget all that. And that friction is what causes change. And that's why we need to be safe. Because we're always moving toward, we're moving away from resistance. We're reluctant to change. There's an immunity to change. But I'll tell you right now that your greatest flaws are might be not obvious to you, but they're obvious to your family and friends. I'll tell you a funnier story. Just this past month, my wife's arm was injured. I think she was cutting down a tree. Um, we don't have um, any kind of 
gender roles in our family. My, my wife is bitter at me at everything, mostly. <laughs> but that's a long story. But so we started ordering more Uber Eats and, and ordering from restaurants. And my kids were ordering these ridiculous meals. You know, uh, Nathan was like, I want some carby or I want this. That's Korean barbecue or diner food. And it was really expensive stuff. And um, I told my wife, no, we can't order that. You can't keep eating these things every day. And kids are going to get spoiled, you know. And my wife at the kitchen table looks at me and says, I'm not afraid they're going to get spoiled. I'm afraid you are spoiled. And I was like, what do you mean? Because you just ate lobster and steak the other day. <laughs> and I move, sank in my chair, and I, and I thought about it. I was like, that's so true. She, what do you think the kids get it from? They get it from you. Here am I trying to take the speck out of my children's eye when the plague is in my eye. My family reminds me of the parts that I can't see. Sometimes my sins, sometimes the toxicities, my stubbornness, they're in my periphery. I can't see them. I need help seeing them. And if someone doesn't intervene, I'll just lecture my kids about being spoiled, and they'll look at me and be like, what are you talking about? You don't do that in your own life. And I know that's a humorous example, but right now, I want you to think about this in your own life. If God doesn't intervene, even some of the dark patterns in your life today, things you can't see, it will what, end up eating you up and eating others up. Harming you and harming others. This is the first reason why we need to be saved. Why the gospel is good news. We need God to intervene, but will you give him permission? Or will, you always, or will we always resist? When my wife told me the truth about how I'm spoiled with food, it's true, I'm a glutton. God saved me. And he's still working on me, so don't trip. But do you really want God to intervene, or do you want to be left alone? Because that's really what's at stake here. That's what we're exploring here. So, let me ask you a question. How self-aware are you? Because life change can't happen unless you can embrace, you can't see everything. And that's when you learn that God's grace is so necessary in your life, that you need others. That's when we come down from the mountain of delusion and come embrace reality. The fact that we're vulnerable, that we need others. And even though we're reluctant and we might not like it, we need God to convict us, we need the Spirit of God to convict us, especially uncomfortable feelings of conviction, convicting sin, convicting blindness, to disrupt, intervene. That's when we can change, when it's painful to know that we are blind, that we're subjective. I pray the Spirit of God today will show you areas of your life where you're unaware. And you resist change, and you resist when others bring up things to you. Because you can't see. The, the truth is, sin is not that we can't see. There is a limited part of vision, but we don't want to see. There's a difference of attitude. Say, Lord, help me see. 
Save me from my own sins, God. My own stubbornness, my own blindness. Amen. Because let me just tell you guys, my kids are not going to care how, how right I am. Right? And ten years from now, they're not going to remember any of my wonderful lectures or value systems about what I said. They will remember if I was kind, if I was humble, and if I was generous in spirit. That's how they will value what kind of father I was. So I want life change, do you? Or is that just tokenism? That's something that we have to settle because in the Christian life you can go very long in just perfunctory obligation. Do you really want the Spirit to intervene and disrupt? Because that's why the Gospel is good news. He will. He can. But do we want it? And that's the tension we're talking about. The proclivity of self-righteousness is there. And that needs to be transformed. As you can see, I had to move locations. <laughs> Such is remote preaching, pandemic preaching. Pray for me out here. Uh, there are a lot of there have been a lot of distractions uh, just before I go into point two. Um, so thank you for being patient. Really appreciate it. Okay, so we asked in the very beginning, what does the gospel exactly save us from? What is the gospel? saving Paul from? Well, first, it was his blindness, his blind spots. And we said that, that those blind spots usually are very explicit and obvious to others, especially to our friends, our family, and to the world. But to us, our subject-object balance can be off. That's the first thing. The second thing is an obvious one. and something I mentioned during the message, and that's harming others. Paul was saved from harming others further. In fact, if you read books on the Apostle Paul's life, considered to be by many the greatest Christian of all time, the greatest struggle of his life, personal struggle, was killing and persecuting the church that he so fell in love with in the end of his life. He became an advocate for the church and wrote half the New Testament, but the amount of people he hurt deeply haunted him. And that's what the gospel saved him from. And if God didn't intervene in a supernatural way, he would have kept murdering, imprisoning, and separating families. And that's clear in this passage, right? Paul was willing to imprison murder, and separate families as long as he felt he was right. As long as he believed that he was serving the greater good. In some sense, a deluded version of he was serving God and Judaism. And that's how you know you reach the mountain of delusion. The pinnacle of self-righteousness. You're willing to sacrifice people in the altar of 
of ideas. That's how you know you've reached a place almost of no return where you begin to harm your toxicities and your stubbornness begins to harm other people. And that's what Paul was doing. And the gospel saved him from that. For me personally, this has been an issue in my own life. I remember one time at a retreat, I've been in many different ideological shifts in my life. And for those of you who are unbelievers might not understand, but, you know, shifting from women in leadership versus non. And when I was younger, I was very ideological about Calvinism. And I, I took the Bible in some places literally, and I remember making a Princetonian uh, leader. She was going to seminary in Princeton, cry at a retreat because I told her, the Bible says clearly this and that. And she started crying. She was weeping there. I met people in our church. When it comes to basketball, I'm a basketball fanatic. And we're arguing about basketball one time. I think it was Pat, one of our medical residents now in Queens, in towards Long Island, Northwell. And he said, Doc, why are you making it personal? I thought we were just talking basketball. I said, that's because you millennial, uh, you, you latte-drinking millennials are so soft. You don't understand Michael Jordan. You don't understand the GOAT, the destroyed Pistons, the bad boys. You, you, you don't understand. I grew up in my environment, the gangster violence, the Cribs and the Bloods. You guys are soft. That's why you think LeBron's the best. <laughs> he said, why do you got to make it personal? And I remember texting him that night. I'm sorry, bro. My wife banded me from chanting about basketball at church. And I think about that when we're willing to, when we get caught up in tunnel vision and we're sacrificed people on the altar of ideas. That's something that, that God has to save us from because we're so subjected to our ideas that we don't see people in front of us. And sometimes it's not basketball and it's not about doctrine that's in the peripheral. It's real important matters about things that we're doing in the home to our children, to our spouses, to our friends, to our brothers and sisters in the church that are harming others. And I don't know about you, but I want God to inter interrupt and intervene in my life and, and show me a mirror as Thomas Kempis was, it's the brute beast. That's what, what happens when, when sin enters the heart and we can't see, we become a beast. Beastly in harmony. So, I want to ask you a question today. Are you harming others because of your blind spots? Are your, are your blind spots hurting the people you love the most and not even know it? Is that who you want to be? That's not who I want to be. My kids are not going to care, like I said. 10 years from now, how right I was. They won't even remember. They will remember if I was kind, patient, and generous in spirit, though. And that's, a, that's how they will judge what kind of father I was. So who do you want to be? If you want to be a man and women of value, generosity, and change, 
for the better of your family in this world and your friends, then the gospel has to go in. You have to give the Spirit permission to disrupt. Even if that medicine, that discomfort, and that friction will come. That's the only way. The light that came to save Paul blinded him. It was the very nature of the psychology of change. And in the beginning, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. So today, will you pray with me? And I think this is a serious moment, a sacred moment, a Kairos moment for some of you watching. This might be you who need to pray. So wherever you are, will you lift your hands with me right now and repeat after me. I'm going to pray the prayer I prayed in the beginning about inviting the Lord, the Spirit, to come form the structures that resist. So repeat after me. Gracious and loving God, you know the deep inner patterns of my life that keep me from being totally yours. You know the misinformed structures of my being that hold me in bondage to something less than your high purpose for my life. You also know my reluctance to let you have your way in these areas. Hear the deeper cry of my heart for wholeness. By your grace, enable me to be open to your transforming presence in this moment. Lord, have mercy. As you reflect, as my wife leads us into worship, will you pray that prayer? We'll leave it up in the screen for wholeness, for salvation, for the sake of your loved ones for your children, for your friends, and for the world, will you allow Jesus to come and save you to me from our blindness, from our blind spots, and from continuing to harm those around us that we want to love. Spirit, come. Let's make a song of prayer. Come and make my heart your own.
entirety to declare your gospel, God. For your illumination, Lord, for people of all walks and all stages, Lord. And in our sphere of influence, Father, for people to come to know the heart of the gospel, the heart of the Father, and to come to know the person of Jesus Christ. So we pray for this, Lord. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. God bless you. Until we see each other again. Shalom. My name is Minyoung. I'm a member here at 180 Church, and we're so glad that you were able to attend today's service with us. Um, there are a few community news that I'd like to share with you all. The first announcement is about our tithes and offering. We want to remind all of our members here at 180 Church to keep God in the center of your life, which includes your finances. You guys can do so through the online payment method shown on the screen. You can give through Venmo at Church 180, Zelle and Chase QuickPay at offering at 180church.tv, or if PayPal is your preferred method of giving, you can head over to our website at 180church.tv where there is a link to donate through PayPal. If you're a visitor joining us today, welcome. If you feel blessed by their service and you feel led to give, you can do so in the payment methods that I mentioned before. Our next announcement is about our prayer text hotline at 180 Church, which is available on text at 5397prayer and also via email at prayer at 180church.tv. This is a resource for everybody and especially during this difficult time where we need some prayer and support, there is a prayer team that's ready to help you and to pray for all the requests that you may have. Um, if your prayers have been answered, you can also share them on the text hotline and we can celebrate the good news together. Next up is about small groups at 180 Church. These are smaller pockets of our community that meet on a weekly basis where we can dive a little bit deeper into the word and share how the message from that Sunday uh, spoke to us. We have a few different groups that are all meeting virtually now. And if you're not currently connected with the group, you can reach out to Pastor Billy at the email shown on the screen and he can get you plugged in into a group for you. On the topic of community, we also have a number of different social media handles and channels where you can follow us, like us, and love us during the week. We have a Tumblr page at 180BRG where we post a chapter of the Bible a day so you can read through the Bible with us. We also have a Facebook page at 180 Church. Dr. Sammy, our head pastor here at 180 Church, has a Twitter handle at Dr. Sammy Kim. We also have a YouTube channel at 180 Church NYC, where I'm sure most of you guys are watching us right now. And we also have two different Instagram pages at 180 Church and also at 180 BRG, where there are really encouraging posts and verses that get shared there. So I hope you guys will follow us there and be encouraged. We also have the 180 Church podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends, where you can tune into a conversation and a dialogue that goes into, goes into the word a little bit deeper with Pastor Lydia and Joe Wu, who is a member of our community here. It's always a great time just listening to them um, converse about how the message has spoke to them and has impacted them, and you can see how it can do the same for you. We also have a virtual 180 Cafe on the Discord app where you guys can come hang out at any time in different groups on different channels and it's an easy way to stay connected with the community and also check in with one another. In addition to this, uh, we, have, we have a new addition which is our SoundCloud. 
and it's a worship playlist of all the things that Pastor Lydia has played throughout this pandemic. So if you've been blessed by any song throughout this time, you'll see it there. Use it as a way to connect with God, to remember that God is with you, and to be blessed by Him and to bless others through this situation that's going on. And last but not least, if you'd like to learn more about our church and want to sign up for our weekly emails, you can come visit us at oneechurch.tv. That's it for all of our announcements. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you all next week. Bye.